Welcome to this week's episode of Creation Care Conversations. I'm Doug Clark. I'm a retired UCC minister and also a volunteer trail manager for the Connecticut Forest and Park Association. And I'm Jenna Van Donselaar, the Connecticut field organizer for Young Evangelicals for Climate Action. This week, Doug and I are going to discuss Christian community in the era of climate change. Right now, Jenna, our sense of community looks uh, a little different, given that at the time of these recordings, we're still social distancing, or as I prefer, physical distancing. But when we say community, we mean a people who care, who are bound by a sense of belonging to one another. Yeah, more than just people though, right Doug? Oh, certainly, yeah, more than our, our human species. You know, there's a long textual history in philosophy and theology of seeing humans as the apex of the great chain of being or as the crown of divine creation. There's also, by contrast, a long oral tradition in many indigenous communities of seeing humans as in mutually caring and responsible relationships with other than human beings. And contemporary ecological science has basically confirmed this long-standing indigenous wisdom tradition. Within Christianity, there is also an alternate, alternative tradition going back to St. Francis of Assisi and continuing with today's Pope Francis of viewing the world through the lens of universal kinship, which is something that you and Cameron talked about in the last podcast. Yeah, I love the idea of universal kinship. Um, I think there's like a long Christian tradition to this, and we can see it especially in Pope Francis's recent encyclical, Laudato Si. He, in the encyclical, outlines sort of this tradition. He talks about um, St. Francis of Assisi, who is his namesake, um, and he showcases prominent individuals who have historically stood by non-human creation in beneficial ways. After he establishes this history within the Christian tradition, he's basically arguing that Christians can take on this look towards the world, this communal sense of being with um, creatures that are not human. Um, and after he establishes that, he embarks on an explanation of the problems the earth currently encounters, um, especially climate change, consumption, ecological degradation. And he goes on to show that those problems are the result of human activity. He then also shows that humankind is deeply embedded in the ecology of the planet, something that I believe in and Doug believes in. And um, Pope Francis uh, refers to this as integral ecology. Uh, and it's sort of a dualism between, or it's taking down the dualisms between humankind and the natural world, showing that humans are part of their environment. They're not over and against it. They're not rulers or, or fighting against nature. They're, they're part of nature. And we see that, like as Doug mentioned in indigenous traditions of shaping the landscape and being part of the landscape and being shaped by the landscape. Um, Pope Francis, after outlining all that, um, discusses a possible course of action available to humans, especially Christians, both politically and as a Christian community, engaged in ecological con, um, conservation. And that uh, path forward is through integral ecology of recognizing our communal nature with the landscape and with each other and with other creatures. 
Yeah, I've recently read a great story about um, breaking down this dualism between humankind and the natural world or the other than human world. And it's a story told by Christina Leano. She serves as associate director of the Global Catholic Climate Movement, which is connected to uh, Pope Francis's encyclical. Well, she tells the story of when she went on a forest bathing retreat at the Arnold Arboretum in Boston, where she befriended, and she was befriended by a giant sequoia. She describes that as a towering beauty of a tree whose bark had a reddish shimmer. And she writes of experiencing the sequoia as her mother holding her with maternal strength. And then she found a seat at the roots of the hard trunk of this towering beauty of a tree. Leaning against the trunk, she simply sat and listened. And here's the story. As I opened to the presence of the sequoia, I began to hear the cries of creation. A cave in my chest opened as I felt a depth of sorrow about the climate crisis. I saw images of island and coastal communities being swallowed up by the tides, swaths of rainforest being raised to create palm oil plantations and ranches for the cattle industry, millions of people starving because of droughts and desertification. And I felt the pain of my own participation in economic and energy systems that contribute to the destruction of our planet. Tears fell down my cheeks as my despair grew. I felt this tree emanate a sadness of the realities facing our planet, of what we humans have done through our blindness and unbridled selfishness. I turned around to touch her soft wisps of red bark. My new friend felt so steady, seemingly able to hold all of the pain and sorrow within her strong trunk. I looked up into the branches that stretched from her trunk and saw glimpses of blue sky. In desperation, I beseeched her, what am I to do? How am I to respond to the immensity of this crisis? And then an unexpected image of a turkey appeared in my mind's eye. It was a memory from when I had lived in a monastery, a turkey roosting in the middle of a redwood tree. One dusk, while I was walking through the monastery grounds, I caught sight of a small flock of turkeys gathered at the edge of a field. One turkey took off running as if on a dare with its balloon-like body heaving up and down on its grayish legs. Then in what appeared to defy the laws of physics, the turkey's body started to rise from the ground, first a few inches and then a few feet while the turkey flapped its huge wings. Slowly angling upward to the edge of the forest, the turkey ascended until its claws grasped one of the lower branches in the redwoods. But it didn't stop there. The turkey slowly began to hop up the tree, branch by branch. Each ascent was accompanied by a flutter of wings and then a pause before the turkey flapped to the next level. After a few minutes, seemingly satisfied with its position, the giant bird nestled some 50 feet ground, above the ground, beyond the reach of bobcats, raccoons, foxes, or other predators. And the seven other turkeys followed suit. And by nightfall, I was able to see their silhouettes sitting high in the tree branches. I hadn't even known that turkeys could fly. Seeing a turkey roost in a tree was like seeing the impossible become possible. With this memory of a turkey roosting came a message from the sequoia tree, branch by branch. My new friend seemed to be telling me that my task, like that of the turkeys, was to slowly ascend one branch at a time. I need not solve the whole crisis, 
but just move branch by branch, step by step. As I continued to gaze up into her branches, I felt the relief of the invitation. The overwhelming reality of the climate crisis had not disappeared, but I felt that I better, underst that I better understood what my response needed to be. I was not called to solve everything, but simply to do my part, one branch at a time. That's such a beautiful story, Doug. Um, thank you so much for sharing it. I really liked how this story outlined the way that the author's relationship with the tree paved the way for her to gain new insights and to see the world differently. And I wonder if our openness to the messages of the world around us, to the community of the world around us, can also help us imagine our future through this climate crisis and what our future could be, much in the same way that she talked about how the tree showed her, do your part, one branch at a time, and you'll climb this tree and we'll get through this. We will tackle this climate crisis together. So a lot of, a, a big reason why I wanted to have this conversation with Doug is I've been frustrated a lot with conversations about climate change of people ask, what can I do? What can I do individually? And I don't wanna say that you can't do anything individually or that your individual actions don't matter. But I wonder if the question that we need to ask is not what can I do, but what can we do? What can we do together? What are ways that we can embrace Christian community? What are ways that we can embrace our ecological community for our future? What are ways that we can recognize the love and the divine spirit of creatures such as trees and turkeys and each other? and use that as a motivating force towards solving this climate crisis. So going forward, I hope that as Christians, we can lean into that and we can see that as our motivating force in solving the climate crisis. Yeah, I really want to underline that point, Jenna, because the role of community is so important in you know, certainly right now and and in this decade that's unfolding that we're living through that's really, you know, this we've got to make some serious changes in how we humans relate to our planet and how we relate to one another. And community is is so important. I mean, it, it's it's been really a struggle to maintain community if since we can't be together in person. But it's so you know, we can, we're learning how to be together virtually. And we're learning how, you know, we have these longstanding resources of, of community, of inspiration, formation, um, encouragement, accountability. All of this is so important for uh, addressing the climate crisis from a faith perspective. And understanding our community with one another in local congregations, our community with our neighbors, uh, both locally and globally, and you know our our kinship with everything around us. Um, I mean, I just I try to practice this. I, yesterday, I was hiking in a um, meadow in the Braemar Preserve in Guilford, and it's filled with wildflowers, and there were dragonflies everywhere, and there's a bumblebee on almost every flower. And I just said, I said to the flowers and the bumblebees and and the and the dragonflies, "You all are so beautiful." I mean, it's just 
you know, I did feel a sense of kinship and amazement at what bumblebees can do. I mean, they could get nectar out of these tiny blossoms. And anyway, um, but the, the sense of kinship with, with one another and with this beautiful home planet um, is, is so profoundly important moving forward. Yeah, I think that's where we'll end this today. This has been a great conversation. I know Doug and I will probably continue it on in our own time, and we hope that you will too. Talk about ways that we can foster community, ways that we can recognize the community that we're part of, and ways that we can really lean into this universal kinship with our ecological community for the sake of our future. So thank you very much for listening, and we hope you'll tune in every other Friday for new episodes of Creation Card Conversations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Creation Care Conversations. New episodes will be out every other Friday. We hope you'll listen to future episodes.